back for another week, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, and there's an asterisk after I say back for another week, because we skipped a couple weeks. That wasn't the plan. Didn't intend to happen that way. But I'm going to offer an excuse. I swear I've never used this one before. I caught COVID-19, and and (laughs) it was miserable for about a week and a half, quarantined in my home studio. Uh, Let's start there, Justin Hopkins. Have you caught COVID-19 in the last two years? Uh, you know, I don't know. I got sick one time and I didn't go get tested. I just, I mean, I just knew I was sick. So I, you know, stayed home and it got better. So it, it, it may very well have tested out as COVID-19, but you know, overall, you know, I, I just, I felt like I had the flu and, and, uh, you know, did what you would normally do to get better. And, and, uh, and I'm still standing. Well, how was your how was your breathing? Because because for me, that was the part that made it really hard to to perform. Like I had uh, when I when I got out of quarantine, when I finally tested negative, I went to do uh, a state championship basketball broadcast, and I could barely speak. I thought I was great right up until I I get on the air because I kept breathing after every other word, you know. Uh, yeah, that didn't seem to be, I was just lethargic, just very low on energy level, um, and a little bit feverish, but you know, th- those were the main symptoms right. for me that if that's what it was, um, but uh, yeah, that, it was again, uh, I, I would say I tend to get sick once a year and it usually, you know, knocks me down for a peg for about a week. And, and I, and I think, uh, I think that was my turn. Yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, a while ago, that was, that was six months seven eight nine i don't know it was a while ago gotcha well i'm back now and and obviously feel better because otherwise i wouldn't be taping this with you on a tuesday afternoon uh got a lot to go over this week we're gonna have barone mckinley the third join us at some point we're expecting about 10 to 15 minutes from now but it could be earlier could be later and uh, in the meantime i want to touch base and We'll talk about the basketball teams as well. Men in the NIT tonight. Ladies going to get March Madness going in style in a few days. Um, but but let's talk duck football. Um, it, it's kind of an interesting point of the year, right? Some schools are getting their spring practices underway. I think Oregon's gotten their spring practices underway, but there hasn't been a lot of fanfare there. Uh, how do you feel about this program where they are in the spring? Yeah, just getting going. Um, you know, obviously, you've got coaches and players trying to get to, you know, to kind of know each other. You've got players trying to understand. I mean, it's not like they haven't practiced before, but everybody runs them differently. Anyways, it's, you know, a spring break. Uh, so, you know, the guys will get out of town this week. The players get back, rest their bodies, kind of get ready to come back. So, um, you know, kind of seeing them do a little bit of stretching and running around. So, yeah, I mean, I guess to answer your question about feel, you're not getting a great feel, but, you know, we're getting some questions answered and the coaches are doing their, you know, interviews after practice. Coach Lanning has spoken uh, once or twice. And uh, yeah, that's the, like, again, I feel like we're kind of in the feeling out process of that. And that's a, you know, spring ball is great for that. you got new players, you've got new coaches, you've got new signees. So all of that uh, is great to get out of the way now instead of August or September. No doubt. And and it's going to be a process, like you mentioned, new coaches, new players in a lot of key positions, uh, new schemes, everybody kind of feeling themselves out and, and figuring out what it means to play Oregon football for the first time. Um, 
where this staff is right now, I, I'm curious, I'd love your perspective. Uh, how, is, how is recruiting different for them now than it was a month ago when everybody had their hair on fire? Yeah, I mean, I think it's still uh, very much that way to a degree. Um, I suppose it's probably always that way. But, um, yeah, I think you, you know, the coach, a little better idea. Um, maybe not, like, exactly the, the two guys that they need to hone in on. But instead of recruiting 20 guys, you know, you're, re- you're recruiting five or seven or maybe, you know, 10 or less. And, you know, so I think those are the kind of the, the things that are going on. Now I'm saying that, and it's only March 15th, so there's still a ton of time in recruiting. You obviously have to remain fluid. You have to expand your list. You have to, you know, pay attention to, to, to who might be close to committing to you or elsewhere. Um, but, yeah, right now I think uh, I think the number one goal, the number one effort is just to continue – getting as many recruits on campus as possible um you know you and i are recording this and we're coming off one of the biggest weekends i think i've ever seen in recruiting at oregon Mm -hmm. a number of five stars four stars defensive linemen uh, a really good looking list so you know if i'm dan lanning and his staff i just keep keep trying to get these guys on campus and uh you know kind of seeing where the chips fall after that yeah, yeah. You mentioned how how wide of an array uh, was brought to Eugene over the past couple weekends. I think about a local kid for me. Uh, North Medford High School has a, a tight end that has gotten some hype as a, a four star on some sites. AJ Pugliano, like Dan Lanning, is bringing kids in from Texas and bringing kids in from all over the country. And then he finds time for a Medford kid to come in there. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I feel like it's pretty clear under Dan Lanning that he's in no way going to overlook the in-state talent, which is recruiting 101. Um, you know, you can't let those guys that are, are fringe players or, you know, whatever the like is, you got to recruit them, um, you know, figure out if they're guys that you want or maybe if they're not quite up to your caliber or what, but you got to keep them really, really warm and give yourself that option. And I'm not saying that's the case with AJ Pugliano. He's got some pretty big offers, but right. you know, I think it's great that this weekend when the, like you said, there was a lot of guys from, you know, Texas and Georgia and all over the country that were in visiting Oregon. They still did a good job making sure that central Catholics Raleigh Williams was on campus and in North Medford's AJ Pugliano was on campus and they've done a really good job, you know, with the other, uh, state of Oregon prospects uh, the last, you know, in, in January as well when the when the visit period was open. So, yeah, I really love that Coach Lanning is invested in the state of Oregon. No doubt. Yeah, I, I can imagine you have someone with with a, a southeast and east coast background. And, and and you know, as somebody that, you know, you, you talk to coaches, that's what you do. You know that that Oregon as a a place to find football talent uh, is a very difficult place to find talent. And a lot of coaches just, just don't even think about Oregon because there might only be one or two kids a year uh, that can play at that level. And I, I love that this staff, you know, they could – rub their nose at it and they're not yeah well and that's an easy way to build up some bad will that you don't want you want those coaches you know you want whenever uh, you know a, a coach at a high school you know has a prospect that that you know might be pretty good 
And as long as they're not blowing smoke, you want to be that coach's first call. You right. know, you want that coach to look at it, maybe a freshman or a sophomore or whatever the case is, and kind of look like, hey, this kid could be a player. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get coach landing. I'm going to get, uh, you know, one of his assistants on him so that they have a really good chance at signing him if he happens to be that case. So, yeah, you know, that's very important. It's a very, it's very important to do that all over. But again, you, you really want to build up that goodwill. Uh, within the state it's very valuable for the program and uh, you know I'm just I'm having a lot of fun covering recruiting right now because I think you know these guys these these coaches are just are are, are almost in the shotgun approach and you know hey let's shoot out an offer right let's try and get them on campus let's see what happens you know and they're doing that and they're having success getting these recruits on campus but Mateo uh, Ugalele has been on on campus twice now uh, and it's March. Uh, Jaden Wayne has been on campus twice now, and it's March. Those are both, you know, basically five-star defensive linemen. So it's clear that these guys are being rel- relentless. And, you know, again, I, I, I've always said this. It doesn't matter if it's Dan Lanning, Mario Cristobal, Chip Kelly. It doesn't matter. The most important element in recruiting at Oregon is getting them onto your campus. And then after that, you know, kind of see where you're at. Yeah, yeah. You talk about just it seems like a fun staff. It seems like an aggressive staff. Uh, just just gut feel. Are they casting a wider net than, than the past staff? Um, you know, good and good and interesting question. I feel like I'm still kind of feeling that out. I think it's, I think it's a little bit wider. Um, you know, I definitely, I think that, you know, the term that I use shotgun approach is very applicable there. Um, you know, and again, it's, Hey, let's fire out an offer. Let's, let's start a conversation and let's invite them on the campus. If they come, you know, let's kind of see where we go from there. If not, uh, you know, maybe we track and, and go a different direction. And I think that, uh, you know, so far they've been wildly successful. I don't know that it's any bigger of a net than it was under Mario Cristobal. That was a pretty big net as well. You know, but it certainly, I will say this, it's certainly something that I feel has evolved, uh, you know, the last four or five years at Oregon. You know, under Mark Helfrich, it was a very, uh, very small net. That was the way he decided to recruit. You weren't really, you know, throwing out a bunch of offers. And then, you know, Willie Taggart showed up. It got a little bigger. Mario Cristobal took over. It got even bigger. Mm. And I think I think Dan Lanning has probably even cast a bigger net uh, already. Yeah. So so we're not going to have a lot of OKGs, a lot of our kind of guys in Eugene in the foreseeable future. Or or maybe, I guess, our kind of guys are uh, a, a pretty wide group of guys. Yeah, a pretty what? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think in today's recruiting, you know, I understood, you know, ten whatever it was ten twelve years ago when Mac Brown at Texas was very selective on offers. He could get away with that. You could, you could never leave the the, the Texas footprint and sign your entire class and get every position you need filled, you know. And Mac Brown had won enough at that time that he could be selective. I think Chip Kelly, <laughs> excuse me, earned that a little bit at Oregon when he was here and successful. Um, but I think in today's recruiting, if you're just kind of playing the odds, I, I, I just don't think that that's the way to go right now. And, and I know that, um, you know, I know that that was kind of the way at Washington the past couple of years under Jimmy Lake. And, right. and I think that the results of it um, kind of speak for themselves. It's not wildly effective. And I, and I do think that if I was running, if I was running a program and if I was, you know, the head coach at Oregon or whatever, I would go with the shotgun approach because 
again, if you don't even offer, you don't even give yourself a chance to be in the game, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, it, it's not a great approach unless you love safeties out of your own end zone at the end of a rivalry game. Um, talking with uh, with the man, the myth, and the legend, Justin Hopkins, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. We're going to have Verone McKinley third soon. We're not certain when. Uh, but I but I figure this is a good time to kind of take a little bit of a break and have a little fun with you. Do you have chickens outside your house right now? Yeah, there's a there's one of them that's really cackling off out there today for some reason. Are they your chickens or a neighbor's chickens? No, nah, they're my neighbor's chickens. I okay. got chickens in in front of me and to the <laughs> right of me. And yeah, again, I don't live in town. I live on a you know I've got about yeah what do I I don't know three quarters of an acre. And you know some room to grow, to go, and I've got cows to the right of me, and and you can hear the chickens in front of me. There's there's all kinds of animals out here. I love it. You ever thought about having chickens? Actually, I was thinking about getting uh, either chickens or pet goats. Some of the mini goats. Mm. Uh, I was thinking about getting them. Uh, I talked to somebody that has mini goats, and they're like, "Well, you know, if you don't <laughs> cage them up right, they'll start." you know button their heads on your cars yeah and, and the, you know the, they can be they can be kind of like a, a, a lab puppy you never know you got to watch them all the time so i vetoed that because i don't frankly have enough time to to monitor an animal like that so i have pivoted and i am considering chickens but that would be obviously an investment i'd have to build a chicken coop and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff but yeah. eh, I'm, I'm open to it yeah well i mean you're you're hearing the biggest reason not to have chickens in the background right now but uh you know i, I do like my beauty sleep so yeah you know the early <laughs> the early morning calls from the chickens might not be uh ideal for 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 our household a bunch of a bunch of teenagers getting woken up at at six in the morning probably wouldn't make them happy so you know i, I suppose at this particular point i could just walk over to my neighbor's house and and play with his chickens if i really wanted to so <laughs> I, i'm just having all these memories flood back uh my my grandparents uh their family home is in redding just south of uh, shasta lake where you like to you know get that lake boat and go party in the summertime with your family and uh um my my grandfather had chickens when i was growing up and i remember I, I would visit them for probably probably a month every summer. My uh, my cousin Michael and I we, we were very similar in age. Uh, we would spend about a month with the grandparents, and every day it's truly like clockwork. It's uncanny. Four in the morning, the damn rooster would be crowing every day, yeah. every day, and and it was worth it because fresh chicken eggs are incredible um if you if you love eggs you, you can't beat that um and they are really funny creatures they they eat every bug on your property so we never had noise from crickets uh never had mosquitoes never had flies anywhere uh that was wonderful never had spiders break into the house because chickens eat all that stuff um but they make a bunch of noise and they will find a way to get in everything. Even, uh, right. like, we, we set up, my grandfather, I'll never forget this, he set up a cougar trap because he wanted to keep his chickens, you know, safe, wanted to keep them comfortable. And uh, so he set up a cougar trap with this frozen, uh, like, piece of fried chicken that you might, you know, buy at the grocery store. And uh, 
one of the hens broke into it and was picking at it. Yeah. They'll they'll get into not, anything. Not not surprising at all. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm like I said, with the five kids that we have and the two dogs and the two cats, I got my plate full. Uh, so as much as I, I'd, I'd like to add, I'd love to add chickens or, or goats or whatever, but, uh, I just don't think it's feasible. For yeah. Me. I wonder if Ferone McKinley, the third has chickens or goats or, or, or wants them. He's going to join us in a minute. We're going to talk about his journey from Oregon to the NFL. Verone McKinley, the third. It's always an honor and a pleasure to talk to former ducks, current ducks, pro ducks, and we get someone that, that's kind of in transition between those phases right now. Verone McKinley the third. Verone, my go-to question as an opener is always why Oregon? But since you just went through the NFL Combine and you're getting ready for the Ducks Pro Day on the first of April, I'll spin this a different way. Why the NFL? Um, I would say after talking to my family and, and kind of the year I had and talking to some of the coaches and the information we got back, it was we felt like it was time. I felt even within my heart that I've, I've accomplished a lot, and I felt I've taken those steps that are necessary to show that I'm ready for the next level. And so that's kind of what went into that decision of me deciding to go ahead and leave. Um, let's, uh, let's go ahead and, and, and circle up the, uh, the NFL combine obviously went, performed well, uh, just maybe talk to us a little bit about that experience, maybe any of the, uh, you know, coaching staffs that you were able to speak with or, or any of that, maybe just kind of walk us through the NFL combine experience for you. Um, the biggest, the biggest thing about the combine is the medical side. Um, I would say that just a lot of, a lot of different people have those injuries and thankfully for me I've been had a pretty healthy career so I didn't really have to do as much medical stuff because I have a clean slate kind of but uh, the biggest thing is the medical but then also just being around different guys that are that are kind of going through this process and you know you sit around a lot and and wait so you all have conversation and get to know each other a little bit so I thought that was pretty cool and I mean it's just it's a special group you get that invitation and there's only a certain select few of amount of DBs that that get to go and so you're kind of known as a class you're that draft class of DBs and so y'all kind of all meet each other and get to know each other and things like that. But also for me, it was just I wanted to go perform. I wanted to go and and kind of send a message that it's a little different. And, you know, being from the Pac-12 and being from Oregon, sometimes we don't get the credit we deserve. And so I wanted to make sure I went out there and put out, displayed myself in, in a way to represent not just myself but my school and kind of what we're about. So, No doubt. No, I, I feel that. Like, uh, it's easy for us as as broadcasters to to say you know that there's a west coast bias or that uh, that people might sleep on you they don't get to watch you did you did you feel that at all in indy um a little i, I wouldn't say you really feel it cuz i feel like i felt everybody kind of knew who I was and the squad I went to, especially because I walked around with my Oregon backpacks and everybody's like oh you went to Oregon y'all got all the nike gear things like that so <laughs> And just, I mean, we had a really good year. Like I said, we went into the second to last week of the season, ranked number three in the country. So right. I felt like we, we were watched a lot this year. Of course, a lot of people talk about that Ohio State game. But I felt that, you know, we, we still have some, some more respect to be earned. And I think that we're, as a conference and as a team, as a school of Oregon, I think we're headed that way. But I think the coaches knew. They knew kind of what I'm about and, and where the background of Coach Cristobal and the type of program and organization we had. So it all goes hand in hand. What uh, 
you know, what are some of maybe your closing thoughts on this season? It was, it was like, just kind of like this up and down season, you know, the highs of an Ohio state win. And then, you know, obviously maybe the lows, if you will, of, of the way the season ended, how just kind of, what are your words and your thoughts on this season for you? Um, I think this season was, it was a very high energy season. We were the talk of the talk of college football in a way for majority of the time. And, you know, having a program, that is, you know, we're always on the on the, the spotlight, especially playing late and being on the West Coast. People stay up or see, they want to see, all right, what's Oregon going to do this week? And so I felt that, I felt we had a, a good year, and I think it's something that can still be built on. I also think that those last, that last stretch of games, I'm, I mean, I'm a competitor, so I think those last stretch of games weren't us. And I think if you look at the beginning of the season and look at the end of the season, we didn't look like that team from early on. And I think that that's just what it is. And I think we could have done better, and I think that, It'll always be something I look back on and be like, we were close. We were we were really, really, really close to getting to the playoffs. And I think we when we play to our standard and, and execute, we do look like a top three team in the country. So, yeah. Uh, look, I, I totally understand the chatter among fans and, and how a perception from them is, is different, you know, from what's actually going on internally. You know, I'm one of the few people that probably gets privy of, of maybe both sides, if you will. In your own thoughts, in your own words, I know a lot of fans felt like the the maybe the the subpar finish to the season was a distraction of Mario Cristobal in Miami. Did you guys feel that at all in there, or was that really just not anything that had to do with the way the season ended? Um, I don't think that was any part of the issue. Um, even we went into the the Pac-12 championship game, we were bought in, all in. Coach Cristobal is our head coach, and we all loved him, and that's what it is we didn't think anything of it when he decided to to leave and understanding from how college football works you got to respect it and so when that time came it was like you know it's different for young guys because they've never been through a coaching change but for me I mean I've like I said three d coordinators three position coaches and this is a part of college football and with the opportunity that he had I understood it and so trying to get other guys to understand the landscape of college football and how things work was kind of big but I don't think it was a, a distraction truly I just think it was just about finishing the season. Like, let's just finish and like regroup at that point because we'd already we did have those. What well, we lost, we lost the Pac-12 championship, and we had lost to Utah early in the regular season. So it was just we need to go finish, and that's why I played in the bowl game. I wanted to finish with my guys, finish what we started. So. Yeah. yeah, you mentioned, and you talked about this before we brought you on, but the three defensive coordinators in your time at Oregon, which is wild if you think about it, uh, a whole lot of staff change, a whole lot of just change in your time at Oregon. Uh, was that hard for you? Uh, no, I didn't say it was hard for me. I think it was always an opportunity to prove myself and to continue to stay hungry and stay humble. Um, I also think it helped me because I'm able to learn three different types of systems, three different types of system, three different types of coaching styles. And so, being able to adjust, I think that's just going to help me for the next level because there is no limit to, to how I can learn, what I can learn, and being able to implement that on the field and make plays regardless of what the system is. You had a yeah. Not only did you have different defensive coordinators, like you said, you had different position coaches. I know Keith Hayward was there at one time. Um, you know, Dante Williams, other coaches. Is there a coach that maybe you're closer to than 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 some of the others from your time at Oregon? Honestly, I mean, I still talk to all three of my positions. I still talk to Coach Dante. I still talk to Coach Hayward. I still talk to Coach Yates. So I wouldn't say it's just one or the other. I think they've all been very influential in, in my career, especially in college and being people that I can talk to outside of playing 
just football, even about life and, and things way beyond that and just some of my goals outside of playing the game I love. So I, I wouldn't say there's just anyone in particular. They're all special individuals and people who've helped me along the way. So I know uh, I'll steal it from Matt. I know one of his favorite questions is to ask, you know, why did you initially commit to Oregon, which is going to be half of my question. But the second half of my question along with that is, you know, do you, looking back, do you have any regrets about picking Oregon? Was it the, Did it end up being the right choice for you? What are kind of your thoughts on that? So I picked Oregon because I wanted to I wanted to make create my own legacy. That was why a lot of guys in my class were staying close to home, staying in Texas. And my parents were Texas Tech, but I wanted to go do my own thing. And I wanted to kind of go and grow up and, and create my own legacy. And I thought that Oregon had the tools I needed for things way beyond just football as well as the football side. I had the best of both worlds with plenty and plenty and plenty of connections. Like Amar Rashad probably wouldn't be one of my mentors if I didn't go to Oregon. So things like that. And then I think I wouldn't change anything. I would not change a single thing about it. I think that redshirting was good for me. I think I learned a lot from redshirting. And I think that was a big part of helping me make that quick transition, becoming a full-time starter and playing in big games and even even the Auburn play, I think, of course, you don't want bad plays like that to happen, but I learned from that, and I felt like I grew from it. So I wouldn't change anything about my, my time at Oregon. I loved every bit of it. Um, being in Eugene was something I wanted. I wanted a college town, and it's a place that I always cherish. So I, I wouldn't change anything. What did you like the most about living in Eugene? It's the people. I think I think the people make Eugene a special place because it's just, it's just the University of Oregon. So everywhere you go, you know, there's a duck here, a duck there. And right. just, just meeting so many people along the way that were way beyond just playing football or just regular students I've met but being in class and, and the different advisors and just everything about it. I mean, of course, it's a beautiful place and you get you'll get all the seasons possible that summer, spring and summer is always super, super nice. And just waking up in those mornings on when summer's there and not many people are at school and, you know, you're going to go work out with your teammates because you're getting ready for the season. Like times like that are always, always cherished. Speaking of uh, working out with your teammates, you were the general, the leader of the defense. Um, I know a lot of the younger players looked up to you. Uh, you know, who is, is maybe next in line to kind of take over that spot for you, leaving it behind and, and who are maybe some of the guys that, um, you know, aren't household names at the moment that maybe fans should be excited about for, you know, this spring and this fall on that defense? Um, I think the two guys that that there's probably like three guys that should take over. And I think it is Bennett, Steve and Jamal Hill. I think those are the three who need to take over. They know what's they know how things should look. They've been there for a while. They've all played meaningful minutes. So those are the three guys that I'm expecting to step up truly. And then guys who who really go under the radar. Um I don't know. I want to say I want to say Darren Barkins because Darren Barkins and Avante Dickerson, I think they have a good they have a really good upside. And I think that they can be two players who who can really be put out there and, and control their own and handle their business. So I think those are two guys that I would say to watch out for. Uh, just from what what, uh, you know, just from what was left behind. I mean, should fans be pretty excited about this Oregon defense this upcoming season? There's still a lot of good pieces on that on that roster. 100%. I mean, you still – so Coach Landing, defensive head coach, just came in off a national championship with, with the best defense in the country. So that alone should should keep people going. And then, like I said, you, it starts up front. It always starts up front. So you have pretty much the entire D-line almost coming back except for Kayvon Thibodeau. And I think Dorlis, Keon, Popo, you have three guys right there that are, that are 
that can make plays, have been in the, the trenches. Um, you have Noah Sewell, Justin Flo will be back, Jackson LeDuc, uh, what's it called, Jeff Bassa. So, boom, right there alone within your front seven, you have guys who can really make an impact and, and really make things happen. And then secondary-wise, like I said, Bennett, of course, I think if Bennett doesn't get hurt, Bennett was having a great season already. Steve, Steve's now got a full year under his belt of being his full-time starter, so he knows what it needs to look like. Jamal Hill, somebody else who's also been a starter before, knows what it looks like, knows the teams he's about to play, knows what he's going to expect. So that's why I said those are three guys that need to step up. Dante Manning as well is another guy who's who played a lot last year. He's coming back, and I'm expecting him as well to take that next step because he has all the tools, he has the intangibles, so now it's time to put it all together and really be that, that five-star Dante Manning that came in. Uh, Christian Gonzalez, I think, is a great transfer. Another guy that's from Texas, really big, really big kid, especially a big corner. And I think somebody that did a good job at Colorado will be good for the defense. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of good things. Try Quez as well. So I, I love the love that you show all your teammates there. You can tell how passionate and how devoted you are to them, and how proud you are of them. Um, for 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 you and for the rest of of the class going pro. Who do you think is going to have the best pro career? Out of who? Out of out of you. I, I think about Kayvon. I think about all the guys moving on to the next level. Who's going to do best in the pros? Oh, man. So, here's the thing. I think – I'm already going to say myself. I'm going to tell you. I'm, I'm going to say myself 100%. I think I, think I bring a lot to the table and somebody that can control the whole entire defense, and I think that's what makes me – really be able to take kind of that that leap over somebody who's going to be an impact like KT, who's going to be an edge rusher in this game for probably a long time. Right. He's probably going to come out the gate with like a 12-sack rookie here. I wouldn't be surprised. So, <laughs> so like, I, of course you have those. But then, like, you have guys like Michael Wright, who I think will be used well in the right system. I think he's somebody who can truly cover. He's not afraid to tackle. And I think that he's also going to have a big impact in the return game. I think that's going to be very interesting to see him because he just has a natural feel for it. Just let blocks set up and hit the gap and go. Um, I think CJ Verdell, you just need CJ healthy. I've been said that for years. CJ healthy is a monster. It's hard to bring him down. He's going to get downhill on you. Makes things very difficult for somebody. So it's all about, of course, and that's for everybody, no matter who it is, staying healthy in the league and producing right. is two of the biggest things alone. I think Devin yeah. Williams, Devin Williams, I mean, six five two, whatever he was. I mean, it's it's all there. It's just got you got to put it together. It's literally all there. Johnny Johnson, somebody who's going to be a team first guy, will do whatever it takes. Another guy who can play in special teams, but as well as be in the slot, get open. I think he'll do a good job in those third and sixes, second and seven, just trying to get yards and get through his team down the field. And so, and also a really good blocker. Uh, George Moore, huge. He's huge. I can move. Yeah. I think he's going to turn a lot of heads. And um, yeah, I think I think I covered everybody. <laughs> I oh, think AB, so. And real- AB, I think AB can be AB. Look, it's about coming in and doing whatever they ask you to do. Is what it comes down to. But yeah, it's just you have so many different guys. So I want to. I wasn't going to, but I will. Just your thoughts on Anthony Brown? I know he took a ton of crap all season long. I know he was the best option, you know, at quarterback for this team. You know, what were your thoughts maybe behind closed doors with him? The way he maybe handled all of the scrutiny that he went under. I know you only played with him this – well, I guess you played with him two seasons, excuse me. But you know, what, 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 are, what are kind of your thoughts on Anthony Brown and, and, and this season? I think that – so, for one, to, to keep your composure and to continuously go out there week after week with so much backlash, I think that shows the type of person A.B. is right away. 
Um, I think a competitor, I think somebody who's when he's on and, and dealing, it's, it's like, okay, he's really going to turn some heads in that fashion. But I also think um, just, just the poise and him to, to never, you know, it never showed that he was rattled. It never, it never showed. I think he did a good job of keeping that bottled in, whatever it is, just to continue to keep going and to keep fighting because like I said, playing quarterback at the University of Oregon is one of the hardest jobs in America. That's yeah. just what it is. Even Justin Herbert, it's just hard. There's people, especially with the people that have come before you, the standard is always super, 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 super high. And so I think he, he did what he had to do and he, he kept his, his cool. And I think he, he did some good things for us. We're still not where we're at without him. We, we're not a 10 win team without AB. So that's what I think. No, that's a good way to put it, especially from somebody who was there every day at practice, seeing him in practice, seeing all the quarterbacks at practice, who ran the offense, who made mistakes. We, you know, as fans and as journalists, we only see who shows up on Saturday and and, you know, if the game plan's flawed or if it's just not working, who knows what the the, the different elements are. Um, lastly, a couple things here, just uh, what are you doing now? Uh, how are you getting ready? When's the pro day? What's what's kind of what's kind of the next wave for you right now, uh, Verone? Um, so I'm in Dallas, still training. I'm honestly just getting ready to run as fast as I can in April first. And Eugene, that's really what it comes down to. Um, that's really about what all I'm doing. I'm still training, DB stuff, and making sure I'm I'm conditioning and all that. But really, my focus is turned just to making sure that my forty is is right, so I can put out the representative time that I want to put out there and turn some heads. Is that? Uh, I mean, is that kind of the feedback? Was hey, your draft stock will improve if your forty improves. Is that why you're focused on it, or is it just something you really want to work on? Well, I mean, I I did pretty much everything else at at the combine, so that's why it's just that's pretty much the last gotcha. thing I got to knock off. So that's of course the faster uh, safeties can be. Corners, they want to be really fast. Safeties can be a certain, but I want to make sure that I'm – I want to be the top of the top. I'm a competitor. I'm, I'm aggressive. I want to make sure that I put out things that's going to represent me and then help me go as high as possible. So, uh, Oregon's Pro Day is April 1st. I know I asked you that earlier, and uh, I assume you'll get here a couple days before that. Uh, yes, sir, I will. Yeah. Get Eugene. Um, Here's what I want to ask you a little, and this is probably it for me. I don't know if Matt's got anything, but last question for me, and I'm going to deviate here. Uh, I think every Oregon fan, myself, wants you to have a successful NFL career. Uh, I know you're a very pensive young man, very, very, you know, forward thinking. NFL doesn't work out. What do you want to do uh, in your life and your career post football? Uh, broadcasting and media, being a commentary, color commentary, being an analyst, that's that's what I want to do. I feel like I have a really, really good feel for, for doing that. And that's something I've been passionate about for quite some time now. So that's probably, that's really what I want to go right into. If not that, being a GM, that's always something I've thought about. Coaching and GM are two other like avenues I've thought about as well. But broadcasting and media is like my top of the top. I'm and not surprised. So not yeah. surprised at all. Know you're, no, you did a well, a really good job with us today. I know you've done well with, with media in the past, not just us. Um, and I don't know if you watched him at all, but RG3 called a couple of the Duck games this year. He was awesome. It was really nice to see him in the booth, and he did such a kind of a refreshing job, if you will. It seems like we get the same two or three guys every week, and I don't think Duck fans are very happy with those two or three guys. So yeah. it was pretty nice to see RG3. <laughs> uh, well, Verone, no, we appreciate your time, and I know you've got a lot going on. And, uh, you know, I, I think we'd love to have you on again, maybe, uh, you know, after Pro Day or, or somewhere thereabouts. 
um, you know, in between the draft uh, if it works out. But, uh, you know, we want to thank you for being a great duck and a great ambassador. Uh, and again, for taking the time today to join us. Oh, no doubt. I appreciate it. Uh, Matt, anything else for Verone before we sign him off? No, no. I, I just I'm, I'm chuckling a little bit thinking about it. He uh, wants to be a broadcaster. Mentor is Ahmad Rashad, the Oregon legend, who was a great broadcaster for NBC for a very long time. Uh, I, I can hear a lot of that in him. He, he sounds polished. He could have my job if he wanted to. He's good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's awesome. No, again, Verone, thank you very much, and we'll have you back on soon. No doubt. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Wow. I know, and, and we've made fun of James Crepia, the the, uh, the beat writer for the O, before. We, we've picked on James a little bit. I think he's a good guy, but he can ask some some questions that I think get under coaches' skins. And maybe maybe Dan Lanning does a better job with that than Mario did, but I know there were like YouTube videos people would post of every James Crepia question that got under Mario Cristobal's skin, and you could just see the reaction. Anyway, lots of lots of Crepia jokes over the years on this podcast, but James and Verone would do a, a weekly interview on James's radio show in Eugene. And I got to reach out to James and, and congratulate him for for that because this kid is polished. Like that, that Verone McKinley blew my mind in that interview. Yeah, no, he did. He did really well. Um, you know, very, uh, very confident in the way he talked, very knowledgeable in the way he talked. Those are two great traits if you're wanting to become a broadcaster. Um, and again, you know, I know that, you know, here we are sitting about talking about Verone McKinley, the safety, the the duck, the football player. Right, but, right. Um, you know, there, there's a, you know, being the leader of a defense, you know, that says a lot about your character. That says a lot about you. Um, you know, he was at Oregon his his four or five years and, and never got in, into a lick of trouble. And, you know, was really, you know, the guy that, that, that you'd kind of want to model after. If, if you're, you know, if you're bringing safeties on campus, you wanted Verone to show him around because, you know, of the way he handled himself of the way he handled himself on and off the field. Um, you know, the, the type of character, uh, that he shows with everybody. And, uh, you know, I, am fortunate. Verone's probably one of the few that I know his dad, Verone the second, um, also just an awesome human being, great guy, very well spoken, very knowledgeable. Um, I think very, very fair in the way they hand out criticism and, and, you know, reward or applaud people. Um, his dad, I know, has coached in the Dallas area, you know, off and on for a number of years. And that's why, you know, I think you saw a lot of that show up in the way Verone McKinley played at Oregon. So, yeah, yeah. again, a great family. Um, you know, if Oregon, you know, kind of deviating slightly here, Oregon wants to go in and recruit the state of Texas. Well, which, you know, is something that we've talked about here on the podcast off and on, <laughs> you know, having a guy like Verone McKinley. Um, and his father, who are staples in that Dallas area, uh, you know, that's very valuable to you down the line because people are going to reach out to them like, hey, how was your experience at Oregon? You know, well, it was great. I love this. You should give it a try. Whatever the, the response is, you know, those are the types of things that allow you to go in and recruit those areas in the future. So, um, again, just just awesome to have Verone on the podcast. And and I know that, uh, you know, I know that we're all pulling for him because I think he was a, a key 
you know, a key fiber to that defense and really holding things together. And there was injuries that piled up and, you know, he moved around from safety to nickel and, and moved all around uh, within that defense. And, and, and again, you went through three defensive coordinators and three, you know, safety position coaches. And I think he was kind of the constant. He was the mainstay, like, Hey, you know what? Young guys, don't worry about who the coach. Well, not don't worry about who the coach is, but just do your job. You right. know, that's, that's all we can do. And I think that's, um, I think that's awesome. You need that on your football team. Yeah, yeah. You, you talked about his leadership at Oregon. I could hear that in the interview. I'm sure anybody listening could hear that. It just oozed out the the knowledge that he had, um, but also the the way he shared that knowledge. Like as as a broadcaster, you want somebody that speaks their mind, but. You, as a leader, right, you don't want to say everything on your mind. You don't want to just break people. And and I got that sense from him, too, of, of he was very kind with his words, also very reserved with some things. And uh, I can just tell you right now, if I were a football player, I'd want to play with a guy like that. I'd want to play for a guy. I'd want to play for a guy like that. Just the way he carried himself was really special. Yeah, I think he <clears throat> I know he wants to get into broadcasting, uh, you know, post post career, which he certainly seems to have the treats for that. But I also think he has the, the makings, the qualities of a really good coach. So it wouldn't be wouldn't surprise me to see, you know, Verone McKinley enter the, the coaching ranks at some point. And, yeah. you know, he ends up as a, as a GA or or an analyst somewhere. And next thing you know, he's a position coach and, and climbing the ladder because that's just kind of how that works. But hopefully that's a ways down the line. And hopefully he has a an awesome NFL career because I think there's really a place for a guy like Verone, yeah. uh, you know, in the NFL with those traits, with that leadership, with those smarts, with the way that, you know, he's flexible in the, in the type of defenses that he can operate in. Um, and we know that it's a passing league at this moment. So, you know, that those are certainly good things for, for Verone McKinley. And I think he's pretty well aware that if he can, if he can run a, a fast enough 40 time that he might find a, a pretty good spot somewhere uh, in the NFL. Oh, yeah. No, he, he mentioned how, how that's his priority at his pro day, and I think he's right on for it because we, we want to think that the draft is this incredibly complicated thing, and it is. You know, teams really do put years of research into the draft grades that they, that they give players. Um, but for some positions wide receiver, running back, corner, safety, uh, your, your 40 time and your measurables really make a difference. And, uh, you know, if, if he can run, say, 4-4, four, 4-5, four, four, and he can have, uh, you know, a good pro day on the rest of the drills, and like he said, his medicals all are going to check out from his time at the Combine because he didn't have any medical issues, and I'm sure his combine interviews scored off the charts. Just just listening to him earlier, he he uh, carries himself in in a way that the NFL values. Um, you have to think that he's going to get drafted in the right spot. Some team's going to really fall in love with the fit, and uh, you hope that that he can hit the ground running, kind of like how Javon Holland did last year. Yeah. I think that's the thing, you know, the film speaks for itself. These guys will flip on, you know, game tape of Brown and see that he's really out of position or see that he's really getting beat, uh, you know, and, and they'll see all those things and say, okay, really the last thing we need to check off here is, you know, the overall speed and, and we're good. So again, uh, hopefully he can nail that. I'm sure that's entirely what he's working on. And, you know, I know I said this off air, but 
you know, for somebody like Verone or, or others, you know, players in the past, when you have a uh, quote unquote, a Panay Sewell or a Justin Herbert, or in this draft, a Kayvon Thibodeau, one of those, you know, top five, top 10 guys. Well, that brings everybody to the pro day. You know, that brings all the, all the coaching staffs uh, to the pro day. So that's a great thing for Verone to be able to really, you know, showcase his ability and talents in front of all those NFL GMs and scouts, knowing that because, you know, more than likely Kayvon Thibodeau will be there, uh, you know, there will be a, an even bigger audience. There's no slight to Verone, but that's just, I mean, we both know that's how the, the NFL pro day and combines work. So. Oh, yeah. No, no, and, and but that's a good thing for him and, and for everybody not named KT. Exactly, exactly. Um, uh, we, could, we could take this opportunity to switch gears if you want, but honestly, I, I don't know how much you want to talk about this or how much fans want to listen to this. Uh, Oregon men's basketball, they, they don't go to the big dance, but they got the NIT tonight. Do you want to talk about that at all? Um. I, you know, a, a couple of minutes is fine. I don't know that I want to go into the game tonight per se in deep detail, um, just because you and I are going to record this and, you know, I'll, I'll publish the audio in a couple hours and then the game kicks off a couple hours later. So it, it kind of renders that part uh, old news if somebody listens to this tomorrow or Thursday or Friday or whatever. So I think Oregon making the NIT um, is obviously a letdown overall for season expectations. Um, I, I, you, you know, personally, I'm not sitting here going, oh man, they made the NIT, they suck. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we kind of saw this team and the flaws that it had and the fact that it wasn't able to, to really quite gel all season long. It was still a good season, not a great season. Um, you know, they barely made the NIT, which is kind of scary to think about, but that's how it goes. So, um, you know, we, I, I, you might not have seen, but in Folly Dante and Will Richardson will not be playing in tonight's game for Oregon. Uh, they did not even make the trip. So uh, <laughs> I don't know. I guess if you're Dane Altman, you get out there and let it fly and see what happens. But uh been, been a uh, been a pretty interesting season for the Ducks. And um, I think there's probably a lot of folks that are probably happy to just kind of see it uh, maybe come to a close, if you will. That's where I am. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head of, unfortunately, we, we saw this team decline. And we saw this team continue to decline for a long time. And, and it just breaks my heart because you, you go back to mid-January when they sweep the L.A. schools that magical weekend. I would have never predicted that they would scrape the bottom of the barrel just to get into the NIT. I thought this was a tournament team. And then it all fell apart. And that's just it. It, it is a tournament team when it wants to be. And, and I think that's that's probably the most frustrating part. And that's probably exactly what, you know, Dana Altman, uh, I again, I doubt he'll ever say it publicly, but privately, you know, will I think on paper, this is one of his most talented teams that he's had on yes. paper. Yes. But it, it it just hasn't it just hasn't materialized. They haven't they haven't bonded. They haven't you know, it seems like you've got, you know, three or four or five guys you know, playing for themselves and, and it shows on game days. And, and then you've got the game days again, USC and UCLA, for example, where they play as a team that that high level of athlete that's on the feet on the, on the court, you know, shows up and, and can, they can, they can beat those caliber of teams, but right. you don't beat those. You don't beat those caliber of teams if you're not consistently playing at that level. And they never did. And, and that's the, you know, here's the thing though. And, and, and I'm not trying to pick on this team. 
you know, had, had you had a bunch of transfers that you brought in, virtually almost all transfers that you brought in and and tried to get them to glue together in a short amount of time, which is really tough to do. Uh, you, you have you have two, you know, two ways to go here. You either bring in those transfers, you know, hoping that they do that and you have a really good team, which is what Dana Altman chose to do. You don't bring in the transfers and more than likely you don't have the players on that roster to be as competitive as you were this year. You know, maybe you would have played a little better team basketball, but at the end of the day, you would have been much farther behind uh, in terms of the athlete and the caliber of players. So, uh, you know, it is. It's one of those things. You live by the transfer portal. You die by the transfer portal. I think Dana Altman has found a lot of success through the transfer portal. He hasn't usually gone in to it as much as he did this season. But obviously, obviously, he saw and felt that he had a need to do so. Mm-hmm. And it it just, I mean, it just didn't all come together. And that's just kind of the way it goes. Had he not done it, we would have been sitting here having a podcast saying about how, you know, Oregon was an average team and, and, and just didn't quite have the, the horses to win the race. And, you know, been talking about the guys that are coming in that should see, um, you know, should see good minutes and a lot of playing time. And that's very much the case now because, all you did is bring in a bunch of transfers who are more than likely not to stick around, you know, so those same young guys should still get those same opportunities to come in and play. And, and I do think that that allows Dana Altman not to have to rely on the transfer portal as heavily this off season. Yeah. That's the hope, you know, and, and, and with the NBA draft and, and the way where uh, college players can declare for the draft after a year, um, I, I think that that'll be in limbo until it isn't <laughs> right we'll have to get right. through through june or july before we can breathe a sigh of relief and look at the roster and say okay you know x amount of guys are coming back but but i agree with you and and i think in theory that should make for a really good oregon team next year like like i compare them to, to say oregon state where on any given night the starting five for oregon state had two dudes jared lucas He's a dude. Warith Alatiche, he's a dude. And three question marks. Guys that just really weren't up to the caliber of playing D1 basketball. Oregon had five dudes. Every every starting lineup, every game, there were no questions about talent. There were no questions about the ability of Oregon at its best to hang with the Cal schools, the desert schools. Um, I mean, they, they're right in the final shot against Arizona. Um, you know, close games against UCLA and USC. This team has talent. They just, like you said, I think they need time to gel. And I, like, you know, I look at, to me, uh, and I, I like, I don't, I don't want to label him a disappointment because it's not fair, but one of my biggest frustrations for this team was, was Quincy Garrier. I'm looking at that guy and you saw when he finally got it going in the Pac-12 tournament. Right. Like yeah, this is this, like that's that's what I expected from him. You look at him; he's a specimen. He's you know he's got a huge wingspan. He can run. He can jump. He can shoot. Like he's like if you were building a player in your little basketball game, you would basically model it after Quincy Garrier. He's he's got nearly all of those tools that you'd want, and the production wasn't there this year. I mean, you know, here and there he had spot games, but you know, finding the Pac-12 tournament, he kind of turned it on a little bit, and I'm sitting here going. You know, had that guy done that, you know, all year and Will Richardson's, you know, healthy and playing. And, you know, I mean, I just there's so many like it's it's crazy to think about that. You know, maybe Davion Harmon is like your fifth option on the team, but that's a testament to how good that team was. I I know, you know, when Oregon was playing Colorado, 
um, you know, the, the broadcasters were talking about Colorado and how Tad Boyle goes and finds these guys and keeps them together for three or four or five years or whatever. And that's really cool. I think, you know, I think that's why, you know, Duck fans were so endeared to the Peyton Pritchard era. You know, there's a guy that was around for three or four years. You know, you get you get attached to these guys when they play. And and yeah, maybe you're you're moving a chain. You're changing a piece or two here and there. But overall, that that key core kind of sticks around for a few years. Dylan Brooks comes to mind. I mean, you just get really close to those guys. Didn't really have the chance to get close to any of these guys outside of Will Richardson, you know, for the most part this year. And and I and I think that, you know, when they start talking about uh, 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 like ticket sales and then attendance at the games, I think that's a big part of it. You know, people showed up because they wanted to go watch Peyton because they he was a state of Oregon kid. And, and you know, they watch him blossom in his career. And, uh, you know, I think fans really like that. And, and they, they don't have that with many of the guys on the on the team this year. Right. Right. Um, Oregon women. They don't have to scrape the bottom of the barrel of the NIT, but they do have to go on the road in the women's tournament. Five seed, it's going to be a bumpy ride for them. How do you feel about Kelly Graves' side? Um, yeah, I don't, I, you know, I mean, again, I, I, I think the one word I come to there is consistency, you know. Um, you know, can that team play at a consistent level? and be competitive uh they didn't draw an easy first game uh, i know that they've been widely picked as one of the teams to watch you know on upset alert uh, in the opening rounds so um yeah i don't know i'm glad that they made the dance i think even making the dance as a five seed is i i believe a bit of a letdown for this team and the expectations at the start of the season but um, I'm not sit- sitting here being Debbie Downer. Hopefully they can, I don't know, maybe they can channel it and make a run. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned upset alert for this team. Uh, they, they play the five twelve. uh, it'll be in Tennessee against Belmont. And, and that's an issue for two reasons. One, a lot of folks think that Belmont will have a pretty sizable crowd because the game is in Knoxville. Their campus is in Nashville. So within the state. And then uh, second reason, and this is I, I'm reading this in the Portland Tribune right now. This is Belmont's sixth tourney berth in seven <coughs> seasons. So you don't see a lot of upsets in the women's tournament, but you don't see a lot of experienced underdogs like Belmont. Right. Yeah, they're a dangerous team. That's the hard part. And uh, and again, I what I can't remember. I I saw something that said that their campus is like 45 minutes away. Oh wow. Uh, so it's a that's essentially like a home game for them. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so uh, you know, a lot of things stacked up against the Ducks, but at the end of the day, they're still one of the most talented teams. And, and uh, I don't know. I, 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 I got no problem trusting in Kelly Graves. I'm not sure it'll exactly work out, but ho- hope, hopefully it does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we believe in five-star Graves. We, are, we uh, officially endorse five-star Graves on this podcast. Definitely. <laughs> You know, I was I was thinking about this. This is totally off topic, but you know, you had your your scoop duck anniversary post where you you thanked everybody and and you gave me a shout out and obviously uh, a lot of kumbayas to your writers and guys like Paul Corpatti and uh, and and I I thought about some of the fun moments we've had on this podcast over the years. And I was reminded of the fact that that you brought that nickname out into the world. 
that that Mario Cristobal had been saying that with you, just just you know in your conversations that you guys would have, he'd call them five star graves, and then you brought that up on the pod, and now I see that all the time on social five star graves. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's fitting. I mean, the guy <laughs> recruits as as good as anybody. So yeah, it's yeah. it's you know the best part about five star graves is uh, he's a five star human being too. He's such yeah. a good guy and a, yeah. a genuine person, and uh, you know Oregon's obviously very lucky to have him. Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, getting getting to cover his kids when his kids played at South Eugene High, uh, in in the same league that I that I work in predominantly, and um, and then just just getting to know Kelly through the podcast and and through a lot of conversations on social over the years, you can tell he's built something special. He's he's maintaining something at a very high level. You know, it's it's not quite Gino Oriyama or Pat Summit or or Tara Vanderveer, but it's damn close. And um and and just seeing that happen at Oregon, I think is really cool. Yeah, and though I mean those took a lot of time too, so it's it's not anything that happens overnight, and it certainly looks like it's being built, you know, for the long haul and the right way. Uh, you know, at Oregon to, to certainly, you know, be at that level. Right, right. And, and they're, you know, they might not cut down the nets this year. Who knows? Because I remember we were all saying this, the, the um, I think it was Sabrina's freshman year, like Sabrina, the Sabrina Ruthie group, their freshman year, they're like an underdog, maybe like a 10 seed or an 11 seed. And we're all saying, yeah, you know, it's too early. It's not going to be their year. And then they have that magical run of the Elite Eight. Um, so, so obviously we're not really booming with enthusiasm. They're five seed. They might win a couple games. Uh, but you never know. Special coach, special team. This could be their year out of nowhere. Yep. hundred percent. They've got, they've got some of the pieces that could get them there. Yeah. It's just going to, again, it's all going to come down to consistency and, and that's, you know, possession to possession, you know, uh, quarter to quarter, game to game, however it stacks up, they just, they're going to have to be um, consistent. Okay. Well, this was a really fun podcast we did this week. Uh, if you missed it earlier, I don't know how you can, but we, we had a conversation with the great Verone McKinley III. Uh, I wish him the best of luck as he uh, applies his trade in the NFL. He's got the Ducks Pro Day coming up April 1st. He wants to show off to scouts and get that bump of his draft grade and get a nice, good day one or day two pick and uh i think he can i think he's a really good player really good human being as well uh listen back to that conversation and um before we go justin do you have anything you you want fans to know nope no no just uh enjoy the next uh, week or so off and then we'll be right back into it with uh you know spring ball coverage and and uh recruiting never stops so it's it's still a pretty fun time to be a duck right now. Yeah. He's got his ABCs, ladies and gentlemen. Always recruiting. Recruiting never stops. He's Justin Hopkins, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. And uh, we'll be back next week. So stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening and go Ducks.